great. But here's what he did. Rhyme it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Oh, please just rhyme it. And he really gets into it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Yes, of course. We will you don't even have to think about it. So let's rhyme it today. Rhyme it. Yes. We are going to rhyme it. Just What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Rams Brothers. I'm your host, Dean, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother and the other great hosts of this show, Nick. And Nick... Uh, it's kind of the slow period of the season. We got a three weeks, four weeks until the training camp starts. But first and most importantly, how are you, my good brother? I'm good. I'm good. I get to see you in like my flights tomorrow, going back to the East Coast. Nick so. comes back to the East Coast. As you've noticed, I have a new setup. I'm in a new house, a lot of newness happening within the Vespi family. All good stuff. Nick, I can't wait to see you either. We're going to have a fantastic time. Yeah. All good things on the agenda for the Vespi brothers. Most people, you know, are going to be celebrating 4th of July and we'll be doing the same. So, you know, let's have a good time. But yep. in the meantime, why don't we talk about some Ram stuff? Yeah, um, I mean, because, because it is the slow season, right? I mean, there's topics like the uniform, right? I think everybody's up to, up curious about a uniform update potentially. There's the Rams' upcoming training camp schedule. There's Behind the Grind Episode 3 that just came out today. So some live reactions from that as well. And then some other veteran free agents that are still floating around that uh, the Rams and ourselves may be interested in. But first, Nick, I wanted to start off with a potential uniform update. Unfortunately, the update is is that there's no update. Um, Everything that we're hearing, every piece of research that we've done, it seems like the general consensus is that there isn't going to be one for this year. Um, If anything, if it gets pushed to next year, I feel like it better aligns with the newness of their strategy, the newness with the roster in terms of 2024 and their strategy. Um, Maybe it's not that deep, right? It's just a uniform, but there's nothing that's preventing them, Nick, whether it's the helmet policy, whether it's another new uniform change from actually introducing it this year. So I wanted to do some behind the scenes trying to understand why maybe a uniform is not being released this year, but also Nick has to be a lot of resources, time, attention from a marketing department, from whomever else it may be that's involved from Nike um, to get everything together. So I wanted to hear your opinion on potentially not getting a new uniform this year. I started to get suspicious when they started doing like media day, you know, and like taking the pictures and everything. And you would think if they were going to have a new uniform, it would be out by now so that they can like take the pictures and like show it off. And, you know, do the whole big thing. And then, on you know, on the big Jumbotron and SoFi, we'll have them in, like, different sets of jerseys tell people to, like, get up and get excited. Um, so the fact that we haven't seen anything and it hasn't even been talked about, I remember uh, Kevin Demoff said something in, like, the beginning of the summer. Or maybe it was, like, a little before the summer. Maybe it was, like, March. He said, we are getting them this year. Um, but, yeah, it is weird that it's they're not even talking about it and it's not even, like – I, I really like what the Lions did, though, to to your point. I like that they just added, like, a very old-school helmet that they just dropped on social media one day. And, like, we're going to wear this, like, you know, maybe twice a year, and that's that. And I was like, that's simple, elegant, easy. Um, but I don't think the Rams want to be simple, elegant, and easy. I think they want to be big and flashy. 
So, yeah, I guess they're going to push it. That's kind of that's kind of a bummer, though. I was it also bummer. yeah, but I mean, also like it seems like it's a really unique opportunity with a lot of teams leveraging the throwbacks. Whether it's Tampa Bay and the Creamsicles, it's the Eagles, right, with the Kelly Greens, it's the Lions with the throwback on the helmet, and then the gray uniform. So I think it's right. it's a really good opportunity to at least kind of kick the tires on a potential throwback. Right. We already introduced the modern throwback. Let's go all the way back in times, introduce two new throwbacks. You go the white and the blue and the yellow and the blue, the classic full horn ultimate throwback. Go back to the Puma style. I have it on the on the hat uh, to represent the Super Bowl era of the Rams' uniform when it did go through that transition, but I think before it even went to Nike. Um, so there's there's that piece of it. Is if you went back to the original throwbacks, you would make a large, large percentage of the fan base happy. Plus, you've already raked in some brand new revenue from the bone jerseys, the modern classics, which are the white ones, and then also the blues. So, I mean, how many teams can say that they've raked in incremental revenue over the past couple of years because they've introduced new uniforms? Probably the Chargers and then a couple of others who maybe re-release new throwbacks. But to come up with a brand new idea that sells and that also wins simultaneously, I feel like is really difficult. So maybe, also, again, maybe we're over-engineering the uniform idea, but it's always yeah we are. But it's it's July and we're talking <laughs> about football. So. Not even, yeah, not even. Yeah, um, but like I don't think they want to go backwards, though. I like sure. that. That would be my thought. I know all the other teams are like, let's go back in our history, but I don't think they want to go back. I definitely don't think they want to bring back the the full horn, um, even though they want to, you know, represent. The win that they had in St. Louis, they want to be as far away from the St. Louis Rams as possible. I know, but they still had a connected helmet back in the day. I just think, to me, if I saw right. like a new, if I saw an old new era version of an Aaron Donald jersey, whether it was white and blue, synonymous like with the Merlin Olsen and the Deacon Jones days, right? I think that would be really cool. And then also just kind of like a classic Matthew Stafford throwback of a variation of a uniform that Kurt Warner wore in the Super Bowl, right? Well, Which is kind of what you already got. Kind of what they have guys. already. You yeah. know what I mean? They yeah. already kind of have that with the ones that they won the Super Bowl in, the right. the you know the classic throwbacks. And I think that's what they want to. You know, I don't think they're going to change their helmet. I think the only way that they change their helmet is if if they take out the the yellow and they put in white. You know, like that could be the alternate helmet. That would be a that would be a great variation that I'd be really yeah. excited about. I st- I I still think they should go yellow to keep it to keep it synonymous with the Lakers, but I think maybe they they ran some like tests and that didn't uh, work out how they wanted it to work out. It still like, doesn't feel like the yellow is well represented though across the NFL. Like nobody has a primary yellow jersey. Yeah, I know it, that's it, what like it, it would work. Yeah, it would absolutely work. It would be so cool. I agree. With don't you. make it like half white, half yellow gradient. That's worst case scenario. Yeah, and it seems and like as exactly we're transition too, and like as we're looking at OTAs, we're looking at potential training camp and how all the dates have just officially been set. It's kind of keeping an eye on what, not necessarily what everybody's wearing, but it seems like a majority blue, and you see a majority of bones. So I mean, those are still two of the primary colors with the modern throwback still being mixed in, which is exciting. But as the training camp schedule kind of rolls out, it's I, I can't believe that the season is already like four weeks, three weeks away. Uh, it's the University of California, Irvine. From July 25th to August 8th, so the Rams are going to uh, they're going to host seven practices that will be free and open to the general public, and any fan, if they want to, if they're in the local area, can register to attend the open training camp practices at theRams.com/trainingcamp. So th- those are the dates um, in terms of which the Rams are going to be practicing. But the dates that are open to the public are the 29th, 31st, August 1st, 
the third, the fifth, the sixth, and the eighth. So, and I think around that period, you have to think they're going to be doing some form of joint training camp practices, whether it's with the Raiders, with the Broncos around that time, which we have alluded to in previous episodes. That's already on the schedule. It's just not solidified in terms of the date. But the coaches report to training camp on that Monday, July 24th, just, just to make sure everybody's up to speed. I'm sure they're going to be there weeks before just preparing for everything um, in terms of a, a huge onboard with 40 plus rookies. It's a, a huge undertaking to be able to set this all up properly. And then players are also going to be reporting the following day on Tuesday, the 25th of July, which is to the VEA Newport Beach Marriott Resort and Spa. So uh, if you want to go look up where a lot of the players are staying during training camp, search VEA Newport Beach Marriott Resort and Spa, and you'll see where everybody's hanging out. Um, And then four days after camp ends, Nick, it's the Chargers as our first opponent at SoFi Stadium. We play host to them on the 12th of August four days after the training camp ends to officially kick off the preseason. So it's going to come out as fast and furious. It's just a matter of getting through the next three weeks, making sure that the onboarding process is instilled, make sure everybody's up to speed with everything in terms of terminology, language, the schemes. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting time. It's like a, it's like the slow period amongst all time in the NFL. It seems like there's never a down period. If there was one, it would be this three week period. <laughs> yeah, I would right, right now before they get into these, uh, you know, the the training camp, and then once like people are there and the fans can be there, it it creates a whole nother like fan, fa- you know, like excitement and atmosphere that gets oh, everybody yeah. ready to go for um, the preseason games. I'm going to be at that first SoFi 12th of August one. Very um, nice, and I'll Very be nice. that. I'll be at SoFi like that Monday too, cause I'm seeing Taylor Swift. So maybe I just camp out for those, um, for those remainder days. I, I, I got Taylor Swift the seventh and then the Rams chargers, the 12th of August. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Get some, uh, I mean, if you get, ever get the chance to get to the camps, they also have giveaways too. They give away, um, oh, there's player meetings. You could get, you know, bring merchandise. You can get merchandise signed. There's players there. There's events, there's giveaways. There's a lot of things that are catered towards the fan. So you get a little training camp action, then you go over to the Taylor Swift concert. You get two for two in terms of merchandise and, and collectibles. I think you're, uh, along with a lot of the other players, a huge Taylor Swift fan, but also one that would be interested in collecting some T-Swift merch. I yeah, yeah. I'll probably rock a T-shirt that says Karma. You know, <laughs> you and Kobe Turner will both be there in the crowd on the floor rocking the Taylor Swift merchandise. Yeah. I wonder what the Rams' record is against the Chargers since um, both of them came to L.A. in preseason. I don't know if the Rams have won a single time. I think every well, time they played, they There lose. was a regular season game that we lost. Yeah, right? that was this or, year. Or I think we were away. We were the away team to the Chargers, and we ended up losing that game was last year. Um, now in the preseason, I think we might be 0-3 since we've – or 0-2 since we've gone back to Los Angeles. Yeah, but I, but I also believe we are 1-1 one because one, in the 2017 season um, or 2018 season when the Rams went to the Super Bowl, they were previously undefeated against AFC teams until the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And one of the teams that they beat was the Phillip Rivers-led led Chargers. Oh, good pull by you. Well yeah. done. Yeah. That must have been Phillip Rivers' last year or second last year in San Diego. Yeah, I think I think that was the last year, or maybe it was the second to last second year. Second to last year, and then he went over to Indianapolis for his yeah. final year of his career. Yeah, they beat the Ravens, and then they lost the next round to the Patriots. 
Interesting. Very good pull. Very good pull. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, the Chargers rivalry is non-existent. I think it's to the yeah. point where, like, that, that there will there will be some kind of conversations in terms of head-to-head battles, but we all know who has the banner in SoFi, who has I, multiple multiple banners in SoFi. Also, just from the perspective of somebody living in California, um, I have been seeing more and more Ram stuff just kind of scattered um, throughout like the beach cities in the South Bay and in like downtown. Um, it, it just matches so well with the Dodgers and, um, it does. and the Lakers, Lakers which, and, and, yeah. you know, to be fair, the chargers do as well. They are, they look very sure. similar. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does feel like a Rams town if it wasn't already a transplant town, <laughs> but you know, if you had to pick one encompassing team, I think most people would say the Rams. I mean, that's a ton of progress since they moved back to Los Angeles. I remember Nick coming to visit you in 2017, 2018, and we were on USC's campus or we were in downtown Los Angeles where you're not going to see a ton of Rams fans. But I mean, in Southern California, along the beach towns, you would expect to see a handful, especially out of the bar. Right. And a lot of people, I feel like even in Los Angeles are closeted Rams fans. They're fans that will go out and a really nice outfit and we'll go out to eat and you'll never even know that they're a Rams fan unless you have a conversation with them because it's LA and it's about fashion and not everybody's representative of their team. So it's, it's the most unique place in the world. I'll give you that. Unless you're talking about New York city, which is probably a close second. Yeah, but they always rep in New York. It's different. Also, LA is just so bitten terribly by the freaking uh, Raiders that it's the New York Yankee logo and the Los Angeles Dodgers logo. That's so simplistic. It's easy to represent and wear with a lot of both of those logos have, I think, outshined both of the teams. Truly, I like they are their own beasts. I don't. I like half the people that wear them, or maybe not half, but there's a portion of the people that wear them that couldn't name a single like don't even know what sport that it accompanies it's just oh yeah Yeah, absolutely in terms of culture it has has completely taken off especially the yankee hat with jay-z and you know all the culture over there and then everything in relation to the la dodgers my wife has a dodgers hat she's not a dodgers fan she loves the way that it looks is it a pink dodgers hat no it's not pink it's white Uh, i like those ones. i think it's white and black so it definitely goes with everything that you could possibly wear Mm. well it's a good one it's a good one. Behind the Grind, Nick, episode three. Did you have this a chance came to watch out. Did you have a chance to watch it? I'm sorry, what did you say? I said it just came out. Hot off the press. Yeah. Did you have a chance to watch it or no? No. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. So I'm going to take you guys into it. And Nick, yeah, you'll, you'll be able to kind of bounce around, right? Because there's not there's nothing that's like ultimately pressing that is breaking, breaking news, but it's all kind of like really nice to know information about some of the core players, some of the rookies, Sean McVay specifically. So Nick, I'll, I'll just bounce some of these things off of you. So Sean McVay got some really, really good quotes built into this behind the grind reaction. Um, his introduction to the Miami, Ohio hall of fame and the cradle of coaches, which is just a legacy of coaches who have been introduced and have been put into a statue or erected, I should say, talks about just work ethic, enthusiasm. He had a really great quote that that I, I feel like you can kind of copy paste, put on your desk, you can put it in a locker room. And it's are the habits you have today in alignment with the dreams that you have tomorrow. Like he is very, very intellectual. And the one quote about Sean McVay, and it's these kind of videos just make me appreciate him more than I ever could. But it's other people when you hear other people speak about him and they say that 
Sean McVay is the most unique combination of intellectual and athletics paired together. To me, that that's like one what we're trying to do with the podcast, <laughs> which we, I guess, unsuccessfully do, but also partially like to hear other coaches, other players, other people talk about Sean McVay in that regard, I feel like is it, it's almost overwhelming to the point where how do you make that strong of an impact on that many people at the age of 36? And it's all about his legacy and the way that he was raised and his grandfather and John McVeigh and some of the just the behavioral tactics that he instills in his own life to make himself so great that he also then goes ahead and, and puts on his players and some of the other players and young kids that come throughout the system, whether it's it's uh, the Watts Rams or it's actually specific this to this Ohio Ohio Miami program. I just think it's really interesting how he is able to just build on things like character relationships. He had a really great quote because he and John McVeigh, which is his grandfather, are the first multi-generational family members to be introduced into the Miami, Ohio Hall of Fame. So talked about like character and relationships, and those are the only two things that end up lasting in this life. And just a, a person that I would pretty much do anything for at that point, right? Like somebody that wants to just donate his entire life and download all of his thoughts, all of his emotions on you to make you a better player and a better person. That's who I'd, I'd want to work with. And that's exactly what we have in Sean McVay. It may be the greatest hire in Los Angeles football history. I, I mean, everything you said makes me want to just I'm so excited to watch next year, particularly because everybody is kind of just like Stafford and McVay are done. Like after like one season yeah. together, and it's like both of these guys like work insanely hard together. Um, and a, a question I have is, where are the statues outside of SoFi? Like, why are they in Miami? You know, like, like I get it. You know what I mean? But like, don't like, can we get the Aaron Donald statue or like the Sean McVay statue or something? I don't know. I would go, I would honestly do Aaron Donald pointing to the ring and then Cooper cup in the divisional round when he caught that pass to, to end the game, just freaking out. Both of those would be incredible statues. Um, I think it has to be Donald. Um, and I guess it's cool to see McVeigh get one. I mean, I, yeah, I, it should totally be here. Like the guy went to two Super Bowls, um, probably has a lot more in the chamber, truly. Hopefully. So, yeah, you got to respect him and you got to love everything that he has done for this organization. I mean, without yeah. him, there, there there would be no podcast. There would be nothing coming from us. You know, we would be in the gutter of the NFL, like we had been for like 12 years prior, with Jeff Fisher football and yeah. only looking at defense. Like it's so much to thank so many great memories that were allowed to live. Thanks to Sean McVay and his genius. So I will say all of that, which is very, very high praise, I think. Yeah. I mean, just a, an incredible combination of, of things that it's almost impossible to be a combination of at the age of 36. I think that's why I'm so appreciative of him because intellect and athletics are so hard to bring together. But when you're young, you have the advantage to be able to do so and connect with your players. And when you can tie it all together, you then become one of the best head coaches in the league. And that's why you're seeing, Nick, this trend of offensive play callers that are so much younger than the norm, right? You see the Mike McDaniels and the Kyle Shanahan's and the Sean McVay's and the Matt LaFleur's and the Mike LaFleur's, right? These are all guys that are, that are young, they're talented, that are intellectually tough enough, smart enough, and have the athletic ability and background to be able to build people up. And I think that's what's so interesting about this, um, 
this whole uh, young coach wave. And it really kind of started with Sean McVay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. He, he has been the, you know, the epicenter of, of it yeah. all, of the, of the smart young Mike McDaniel guy that can come in and completely rework a team and make it full offense and let somebody else worry about the defense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know what? That's another thing about being such a great leader is you know how to delegate, right? You know how to, to dish tasks out to other really smart people that could help you build on your scheme and help you build an even stronger defense. And, and then you transition over to the, some of the rookies, right? The first 15, 20 minutes is all about Sean McVay, which was fantastic. But then you transition over to players like Steve Avila, who I think he's just destined to be a great player. He's a phenomenal human being. He seems like he's extremely well-liked. He seems like he has the perfect head on his shoulders to be a successful professional. I feel like the one thing that I thought he said that really stuck out to me was, if there's somebody that's going to play in front of me, somebody's going to start in front of me, I'm going to work my ass off and have other coaches asking, hey, why isn't that kid Steve? Why isn't he in the starting lineup? Like That was his one line that stuck out that was you know, emphatic and, and passionate in terms of how he wants to find himself on the starting offensive line with the Rams. So absolutely love Steve Avila. He's going to be, I think, a fan favorite coming up. Um, and same with Kobe Turner, who's actually rooming with Byron Young. So you got some defensive line love. Byron Young is going to be the first Ram ever to wear number zero. And Kobe Turner is, is still singing Taylor Swift songs as being the conductor and being himself, the most probably the most well-liked rookie on the team. But also a lot of these guys, Nick, they seem so much more mature than 21, 22, 23 years old. Uh, and a lot of them are 24, 25 years old, but it, it goes back to the draft methodology and how you just really wanted to bring in people that care. And it seems like just introducing those three guys as the first three pillars of Villa, Byron Young, and Kobe Turner, who which were our second, third, and fourth round picks, the introduction to them makes me feel a little bit more um, grounded in terms of what our expectations are with this team for this year. Yeah, and then uh, little Stenson Ben, uh, Stenson Bennett repping thirteen. Stafford was throwing at full speed. Um, Bennett thirteen. Don't hate it. Yeah, in the behind the grind, they said that he was taking it away from Kurt Warner, but in actuality, he's taking it away from freaking the coach's son, Wolf of Wall Street, <laughs> John Wolford. Uh, so happy that he's not on the team. And I, he's I'm not even like a huge a great offensive assistant for the Los Angeles Rams in a yeah. couple of years. You watch. Yeah, I I guarantee he'll do something like that. Sure. As long as he's not throwing the football. Um, <laughs> Denson Bennett repping 13, though. Like, I was so against Wolford wearing it just because, it, you know, Kurt Warner and, and all that that were attached to it. But I don't know. At least Denson Bennett has, like, credibility to his name. And isn't just like some, you know, which is funny because Kurt Warner had zero credibility to his name once he started, like literally right. none. So I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm a hypocrite. Say whatever you want. I just really disliked watching John Wolford football. No, you're not a hypocrite. You're one of many. It just is the way that it is. Um, so now you have a new guy. You don't even ever have to worry about John Wolford ever again in your lifetime. Unless he's calling an offense in which he, I was going to say, he's going to, you should probably in like 20 years from now, he's going to take over for Sean McVay and be the Rams head coach. <laughs> and you know what? It would probably be a sound transition considering how much time they've spent together in the past. And then you move over to the defense. Um, Ernest Jones, I mean, he is in the perfect position to really take a step forward and become a drill sergeant on defense and be in full command of that entire defense, all three levels. It seems like everybody in that building is under the same consensus 
that he can and he will take the next step. Like it's it's just a matter of durability at this point. If he could stay healthy and he can commit his body to to being the Mike linebacker for 17 straight games and hopefully a couple of games in the playoffs, then he is going to find himself potentially in the Pro Bowl. Like he is on that track. He is on that trajectory to be an all pro type player, to be a Pro Bowl caliber player. So you learn from Bobby Wagner the year before you're a rookie or in the Super Bowl, you're in your third year. Um, I think the kid is is poised to have an absolutely dominant breakout year. So I can't wait to see it. Yeah, that'll be really that'll be really rad. Yeah, yeah keep uh, keep an eye on him. Yeah, I mean he's he's going to be your guy in the middle. You're going to see him as frequently as you see Aaron Donald on your screen. Hopefully, you know if not more, right? Because you could rotate Aaron Donald out to get him a couple of breathers. Let some of the run young kids get some run. Ernest Jones is going to be on the field for 98 to 100 percent of your snaps. Yeah, so, hopefully. extraordinarily important player in your defense. And I thought a really cool conversation they showed behind the scenes that took place with Sean McVay and the entire defensive coaching staff, specifically Dante Dion. Nick, if you remember back to the Hard Knocks, Dante Dion was the focal point of all of Hard Knocks, essentially. I think he, was, he ended up being cut that year, and then the Rams brought him back. But Dante Dion is now a coaching fellow, um, which I believe is the Bill Walsh Minority Program. And he was discussing Darion Kendrick, specifically how he could handle the outside. He's a dog on the outside, but still needs a little bit of development on the inside. And Dion is just, he's that kind of guy. He's vibrant. He knows where the camera is. And this, this um, behind the grind feels like a much more personalized version of Hard Knocks. Like this is the Rams' version of Hard Knocks. Yeah, I was going to say. They show what they, they want to show. Yeah. It's not dictated by a network. Yeah. Right? Which nobody wants to do anymore. Nobody wants to do um, hard knocks anymore. I mean, it seems like the uh, Jets are going to go kicking and screaming into the night. But, yeah, it's it's completely different when you can control when the cameras are on and off and there isn't a camera in your face during, like, difficult conversations. And if somebody says something that you don't like, you can just cut it. Uh, yeah, let, you know, allowing the Rams to be the – um, you know, makers of their own destiny and the voice that like we're, we're getting it right from the horse's mouth. And it's also like, it's just really nice to, to have it at all. Like not every team, you're not seeing a Washington commanders, uh, you know, like horns, horns up video essentially. <laughs> yeah. You're not getting, you're not getting much of that from, from other teams. And I, I think some teams have variations of this. I don't think they all have their own behind the grind, but like, being able to see Raheem Morris and some of the energy that he has and his ability to kind of get on camera and say that he backs Dante Dion as a future coach. Uh, they all knew it when he played. And then they like to hear Eric Yarber on the offensive side of the ball. Like his feature like almost kind of changed my mentality a little bit and how I approach work. It was just, just like be happy and be blessed with some of the people that you get to work with and be blessed with who your family is and just have a good attitude and go into work every single day happy because you get to work with really great people. Um, and and that's that's the kind of person that makes you almost impossible to get rid of. Yeah. Like why would you get rid of that kind of person within your culture? He's strictly a positive influence to all of your young receivers and your older receivers love him. So you get that kind of inside access because there's been a lot of coaching turnover. So it's really kind of nice to see some of the coaches get some legitimate face time. So check out Behind the Grind. Um, episode three, and also make sure that you guys follow Yusuf. We tweeted this today, but Yusuf is one of the guys that's on the production team 
that's rolling these out, helping roll these out, helping them make them look as beautiful as they are. So make sure to give him a follow and, and show him support on Twitter. Yeah. Um, what else we got, Nick? We got the other veteran free agents that are still kind of floating around right now. Over the cap is showing the Rams have 10.2 million in cap space, which I think needs to be updated because, uh, but OTC is the Bible. So I don't yeah, really know I mean, how, so like, I don't know if that, I just specifically these things work, you know, numbers wise, but I know that Cooper Cup getting that signing bonus and saving a money. Um, but yeah, I mean, have they signed all the rookies officially? Well, that's that's what I'm not sure that it's reflective of. I'm not sure it's it's reflective of signing every single rookie, which would then probably leave us with what one and a half, two million left in cap space. But yeah, I just want to list that because did something happen that we're not aware of? Is something happening that we might not be aware of quite yet that they're going to open up some more cap space, which will then make them eligible for a couple of guys that we have here on this list. So, yeah, Nick, I mean, we identified yeah, some, just, some former Rams. Know, yeah. yeah. Akeem Hicks, Trey Flowers, Jason Pierre-Paul, um, Carl Nassib, Vinny Curry, Master. Robert Quinn. Yeah. That one sticks out. I mean, I wouldn't mind if they signed a player at cheap, um, you know, second, third-year deal deal who's, like, below the age of 28 or so. Um, I mean, that way you kind of have somebody that's, you know, still young and hungry and kind of, you know, fits the same mold as uh, – as like all the rookies coming in, but has like a yeah, little like the Trey Flowers, JPP, Carl Nassib. Those guys are a little bit older. Vinny Curry, Robert Quinn. Those guys are all pushing like 32, 33 plus. There's Deshaun Hand, Chris Odom, Jonathan Kongbo, Jalen Dalton. Like those are all guys that are somewhat in that category, Nick, that you're talking about. 28, right. 27, looking for a second, third contract. Can still add some legitimate motor to your defense. Can probably jump within a rotation similar to like uh, – a Justin Hollins type player, right? Those kind of guys that are speed um, and still young enough to be able to, uh, to to fall within the mix. And then I feel like there's other guys like Brian Burns. They went after last year. They kicked the tires on Bradley Chubb and Daniel Hunter, according to Jordan, which I feel like they're probably still kicking the tires on Daniel Hunter because I feel like that situation hasn't settled itself out yet. And I just don't know if they're in that kind of shape to bring in that player of that kind of caliber. So I feel like it puts us back into the discussion of some of the guys that we already mentioned, like those Deshaun Hand, Chris Odom, Jonathan Kongbo. But if they're like four and two or five and one, Nick, after like six games, why would you not go after Bradley Chubb or Brian Burns? And the Panthers are one and five. Like try to trade for Bradley or try to trade for Brian Burns at that point for 2024. I think a lot of people, I, I think the Panthers are going to want to hold on to him particularly. But uh, like I, I think a lot of people this year – particularly running backs. Um, and I know this isn't exactly what we're talking about right now, but they're like holding out. There's a lot of people that are like, if a deal isn't done, I'll wait until we get into the season and we see who really needs us, um, which I think is a, like a kind of a new mentality where it's probably more, more of the time they'd rather just stick to the plan and like, yeah. you know, start a job the same time as everybody else. But uh, I'm, I don't think they're going to sign like a Zeke Elliott because they just don't really have. No. Yeah. They said they, with the Sony Michelle signing, I mean, that's. Yeah. That kind of tells you what you need to know about that. But I mean, yeah, I, it's going to depend where they are, but also if you're like five and one and the rookies are balling out, what's like, why, why even do anything? You know what I mean? Sure. Like, sure. Like you might not even need it. And like any, any of these guys. 
No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I just think it's. It, I, think a lot I don't of think they're going to five to one, though. Unfortunately. Be, yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's a, a gauntlet the first six weeks. Although we don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, right? If teams are going to be as good as they we expect them to be. So yeah, I feel like the edge position is really interesting. Like you can go either way. Players like JPP, Carl Nassib, they might make it into, you know, the off season period, um, or I guess the actual regular season period to where they get picked up potentially play half a season and still contribute like Vinny Curry, Akeem Hicks, Trey Flowers. Those are all probably guys that are going to sign another contract. Same with Robert Quinn. And then I was also looking at um, some DBs, right? Because I feel like the special teams unit is consistently rookies, right? So could you potentially bring in somebody that could be, you know, a David Long Jr. replacement, somebody that can come off the bench, have some versatility to play inside and outside um, as depth and could also potentially return punts or back up a punt returner. So then there's guys like Eli Apple, who we all remember from the Super Bowl, uh, Ronald Darby, PJ Williams, Kyle Fuller, Jason Verrett, Justin Coleman. Like these are some experienced guys that have the versatility to be able to play wherever they need to play within a scheme that is a little bit of bend don't break, right? So it's not as as um, much of a harness on your you know man. You're focused specifically on zone coverage, right? So it's a little bit less strenuous for a player of that age to be able to fit within one of those schemes, luckily. Um, so I don't know. I guess we'll see because Tyler Johnson and Demarcus Robinson both have experience returning kicks as wide receivers, but are both going to make the roster? We don't know. So yeah. and that's why we are in this time of the year where everything is up in the air. And yeah, we indeed. To- I mean, there's, there's still guys, Nick. Michael Brockers, John Johnson, Marcus Peters, Robert Quinn, Roger Saffold, Troy Hill, and Marcus Joyner. Sammy Watkins, Malcolm Brown, Bryce Perkins, Micah Kaiser, John Wolford. John Wolford is not going to be signed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I mean, just to hear that list kind of makes me feel a little nostalgic. Like if they did bring in a Marcus Peters type, that would be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's your like 2013 to 2017 list of memories. A, a big part of them are from those eight or nine guys. John Johnson, unsigned right now? Yeah. That doesn't sound right. Wow. John Johnson still unsigned. Roger Saffold still unsigned. Yeah, somebody asked us who were the three players that we would choose amongst that full group. And I went John Johnson, Robert Quinn, and Roger Saffold. John Johnson, Robert Quinn, Marcus Peters. No Saffold. Mm-mm. Peters for the vibes alone. Okay. Hopefully Steve Avila is the next Roger Saffold. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that'd be nice. We'll see. Everybody, thank you guys so much for listening. We know it's uh, an off-season episode, and we know it's a little bit of a, a different time, right? We're, we're kind of transitioning into a new setup, and everything's everything feels kind of new. But we always appreciate you guys listening, subscribing. Um, but make sure... Ram it! <laughs> you ram it and subscribe. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you hit the like button make sure you subscribe we got tons of fun coming this season and many seasons leading up to it so check us out thank you again and go rams cool thank you guys peace go rams